memory is actually a pretty strange tool for navigating life. You go through events, but afterwards, you can relive them, but not as clearly. Some things stick in your mind, others you forget almost right away, others you wish you could forget, but you can't. Some things you actually remember incorrectly, but don't know it. Memory obviously has practical uses, but it's got so many quirks that it almost feels incomplete, like it's missing the other part of a set. As you've probably guessed through this lead-up, we're going to look at that other part in this episode. We're going to check out the spiritual side of memory, how it interacts with the physical, and what the larger picture is, how this fits into a divine strategy to bring us the greatest happiness possible. And to get there, we're also going to have to look at how memory works in the afterlife and why. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. We're going to be looking at memory this episode. I don't know if you guys remember or not, but my name is Kurt Childs and I'm the host. <clears throat> What's that? No viewers? Okay, we lost our audience. Well, we're going to go forward anyway and we're going to do what we always do, which is look at a topic through the lens of the written spiritual experiences of Emanuel Swedenborg, a great scientist in the 18, or 18th century who had these amazing experiences, wrote them down, had all this information about life and the mechanics behind it. If you want to check out some of the basics about it, check out these. This is the long version. This is the short version. We're going to look today into that philosophy to see what it can tell us about memory and how memory fits into happiness, the different layers of it, how the spiritual and the physical interact, and how much of memory do we bring with us when we cross over into the great beyond. If you want to be part of that conversation, Get your questions in. At the end of the show, we're going to have our live Q&A like we always do. All right, let's do it. We want to talk first. If we're going to talk about memory, we just got to lay some work. Let's talk about what memory is in part one. What a great title for a section about talking about what, what memory is, right? What is memory? And we're going to begin... And you might be saying, I don't need to be taught what memory is. I know what memory is. Everybody knows that. But we're going to begin with a Swedenborgian curveball. We're going to give you um, an, an assessment of memory that Swedenborg was given and that he asserts is very important to our understanding of this thing that we interact with every day. This is from Secrets of Heaven 2469. Hardly anyone realizes yet that we each have two kinds of memory one outer and one inner. So you are now part of an exclusive club that knows that we have two kinds of memory. Our outer memory belongs to our body, but our inner memory to our spirit. And we're, that's going to be a large part of what we're teasing out today, is what are these two kinds of memory, and how do they interact, and what does it mean to have a memory with the body and a memory with the spirit, and how does it, why does it matter in our day-to-day -day life? But we have our first data point, which is there's two kinds of memory, an outer and an inner. And so let's back up for a second and just look at memory as we know it in general. And we want to look at the complexity of memory and the what is it for in the grand scheme of things. It might seem obvious, but what, what's the definition of its role? And actually, we happen to know of a Swedenborgian theologian who also wrote a paper about Swedenborg's 
take on memory. So obviously we chased him down, got an interview, and this is one of the things he said about the function of memory from a Swedenborgian worldview. Well, Swedenborg has a lot to say about memory, and our, our memory is really important. Uh, so if we begin with the concept that our mind is our spirit, it's our mind that lives to eternity, what makes our mind function is our memory. That we can only think about things that we know about. So, you know, if I ask you to think, of, think in Sanskrit, you're not going to be able to do that because you haven't learned it, unless you have, of course. So our memory is really important. And Swedenborg describes our memory as operating on, on, on different levels. Well, I do know Sanskrit, but I can only think it fluently. I can't, can't speak it, but you've got to believe me. I'm he said that our memory operates on different levels. What, how are you going to talk about levels of memory? What would that even mean? Is it like one memory on top of another memory? What is a level of memory? Think of it this way. A baby learns how to walk. Ah, there's a baby. Cute. She's looking down. She's figuring out how to take a step, and that baby is focusing on the mechanics of walking. How do you lift the foot? Where do you put it? How do you deal with the slope of the ground? Now, how do I move the other foot? She's paying attention to the basics of walking. However, once you get that down, these guys hooping it up there, they're running all over that court, and they're not thinking at all about how to walk. <clears throat> they all know how to do it, but it's gone into a lower level, a subconscious level or layer of memory, where they're not, I guarantee you, they're not thinking about their steps, they're thinking about where is somebody, where is, when can I get a pass, why am I here, I want to go home, I'm not good at this game. Sorry, I was getting a little personal there. Um, so that's, that's an example of layers, of how the memory layers works, and we want to illustrate that further, how do you work the spiritual into that whole thing. This is a take on what Swedenborg says. So picture the foundation. I've been lucky enough to have a house out in that tree hilly area. When we're learning memory, when we're learning things, at first they're what we concentrate on. Remember when you learned letters and you had to learn, you probably maybe not even remember learning them, you had to look at how are they written, what's uppercase, what's lowercase, what sounds do they make, everything. Once you learn those things though, you push them down into the foundation. You no longer need to think about the letters because you are on to bigger and better things, concentrating on words and sentences and speech, now really not giving thought to the individual letters themselves, even though you still knew it, but it just wasn't coming up as your day-to-day -day or your moment-to-moment -moment conscious thing. It was just part of how you were. But then when you moved on from that, you even had these and speech were pushed down into the foundation because we began to be able to make concepts and ideas. So this is all happening kind of in childhood, but we really began to focus on concepts and words and speech. Like right now, I'm talking, well, some people would call it talking, over this stuff. I'm not thinking about the individual words. I'm thinking about the ideas I'm trying to express, and the words are just kind of popping into place. And that's because I already learned words, and they've gone into this kind of dormant level of my memory. Now, here's where we get spiritual. Swedenborg says that earthly ideas, the things we think we to that same foundation, and like we were able to use words as a foundation for ideas and letters as a foundation for words, we can use these earthly ideas, and we'll get more into what these mean, as a foundation for spiritual ideas. So... That 
is how the levels of memory work, that there is even something above what we're doing now. And how, but what would that look like? I think one analogy for it would be an analogy. You think about if you want to use an analogy or a metaphor, who knows what the simile, whatever the difference is, nobody knows. But we say, hey, this group of people is like a bicycle. Jamie is like the bicycle chain and Joey is the pedal. And, and you're trying to make a point about how the group operates together, you know? And, but once you get that point, you no longer need to be thinking about a bicycle. You're thinking about the group, but you're thinking about it with this insight. It's like the earthly ideas are the metaphor. Actually, according to Swedenborg, this world literally is a metaphor. Through correspondences, everything we see here, everything we interact with, everything we learn, is um, an image or an effect of something, some spiritual reality behind it. So we are learning through this physical life, this grand metaphor for spiritual life. You know, the light and heat are like love and wisdom, etc. We've done a lot of shows about it, but that's how earthly ideas can be the foundation for spiritual ideas. And let's look look back a bit. We're going to get into the spiritual side of things, but let's just look at memory in general a little bit more, lay the foundation for our foundation. And we want to look specifically at physical memory and how it's really a complex thing. Physical memory, we say, because that's the part we're really interacting with on a regular basis and we know well, it by itself is a complex thing, and it's constantly sorting things out. And we want to hear a little bit about that, so we tracked down our good friend, Dr. Sony Warner, to talk about, from a psychological perspective, what is memory? So here's what she has to say. So uh, psychologists look at memory in terms of the structures of the brain, the little parts of the brain, and we have names for those parts, and we look at function, and also dysfunction. What happens when things go awry, and what do we do about them? How do we heal people? So let's start with structure. Of course, there's many parts of the brain, but two of them that are the most important are called the hippocampus and the amygdala. I like to think of the amygdala as a little bit like that uh, fire alarm on the wall of a building, which goes, yeah. there's a problem. We're not safe. Danger, danger. And that's what we feel when we are unsafe, when we feel like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to have a car crash or "Uh uh-oh, I'm about to um, fall off a cliff. Anytime we feel that we're unsafe, our amygdala pumps all kinds of things through our system that makes us feel that tension, whether it's a little bit of stress or a huge amount from a big trauma. So the amygdala is very important because that's what the chemical part of our emotion. So hippocampus has, is sort of like a filing clerk, and it helps us decide of all the things that come into our mind, which things are worth keeping. Because we have this thing called uh, the short-term memory and the long-term memory. Short-term, of course, is second by second. Things are coming in. What do I hear? What do I see? What do I smell? Etc. And it comes in, and the brain has to sort through very quickly, what do I need to keep so that I function well in the future? So, for instance, when I was driving today, I have to keep in mind where am I on the road and the car in front of me and where am I going? And so the the short-term memory tries to decide what's going to go into the longer-term memory. And that thing in between is called the working memory. The working memory is sort of like a a chalkboard that uh, second by second it writes things on it, erases it, does it again and again and again. And you have to decide, okay, this is the sorting process. What do we put into long-term memory that might be useful or will help us in the future, like recognizing somebody's face or recognizing a favorite song, things like that. The thing that is often part of that is what is our emotion, our affection that is attached to something. 
And before we get to that attachment, I just want to say, do you see how memory has these multiple moving parts? It's this organization of systems that, that are working in tandem simultaneously. That's how the physical side is. The spiritual side is just as real and complex and intricate. That's what one thing Swedenborg was always stressing, is we kind of think of spiritual things as sort of floofy and airy, but if we're talking about spiritual memory, he doesn't give us that, exactly that much detail, although we'll get into some that's pretty close, but just to keep that in mind, that there is something just as um, defined and just as cool operating on a spiritual level. So she said that often the what it affects our memory, or what affects our memory is our emotional attachment to it. For example... Um, school bus. Let's think of an object. You may have school bus in your memory. Now, people may see a school bus and get very different memory emotional reactions to it. Maybe you had a great time at school in a school bus. You had a lot of friends on there. You have a good association with it. Maybe you got bullied on the school bus and so you have a bad association or, the, or you didn't like school and the bus was taking you to school to so a negative association. Or maybe you never rode a bus and it's really pretty neutral and it doesn't really, it doesn't really bug you either way, good or bad. That is the same object, different response based on our attachment to it, right? So, and that's important because we're going to be looking at how how can we provide, how can we do the same thing that we're doing physically with memory on a spiritual level. So, in that vein, here's two checkboxes. This is how something sticks in your memory. We remember things if we care about them and we use them. We're going to be returning to that at the end when we're talking about how to cultivate the spiritual memory. But now, we've got some of the basics about memory. Let's return to the statement we had at the very beginning. Do you remember? How many times am I going to make that joke? We'll, you'll see. Do you remember at the beginning, Swedenborg talked about there are two kinds of memory, an internal memory and an external. And we're going to get to know those types, how they interact, and what that means for us now and for us in the afterlife in part two. He calls them the external and the internal memory, and he says, you could also call them the physical and the spiritual memory, and he says that they are very distinct, and they work together, but they do different sorts of things. So what is the difference between these two? How do you divide things up? When you think of memory, you just think of, oh, all memory, just remembering stuff. It's the stuff in your head. How are you going to divide that up into areas? Here's how he does it. This is Secrets of Heaven 2471. These two types of memory are completely different from one another. Our outer memory is the one suited to us during our life in the world, and it contains all language and vocabulary, impressions from the physical senses and worldly facts. Our inner memory contains the images that make up the language of spirits, images seen by the inner eye, and all rational concepts whose ideas are the basis for thought itself. In case you'd rather see it in visual form, he says the outer memory is language and vocabulary, sensory impressions, worldly facts. We all know what those are, and we pretty much know what these things are. Images that make up the language of spirits. Well, we don't know the language of spirits, but we know images, right? And then rational concepts, and we can get the difference between a sense impression and a concept. So our concept, so these, these are things, at least the concept side, that you do interact with and you know. So we're accessing and experiencing both of these memories, but Swedenborg says they belong to very different parts of our total being. So that's the outer and the inner. But here's where we're going to introduce some drama. Um, right now, we have the outer and inner working in tandem, 
but it won't always be that same arrangement. Dun, dun, dun. This is Secrets of Heaven 2476. The case with our outer memory is that it contains everything about us in whole and in part, but after we die, we are not allowed to use this memory, only our inner memory. There are many reasons. The first is that in the next life, our inner memory enables us to talk and mix with anyone anywhere. The second is that this memory belongs to our spirit and is suited to the spirit state we then find ourselves in. So a couple of interesting points there. One is this, he said you can't use the external memory in the afterlife, and does that mean we forget everything? We're going to get to that in a second, if you can put that to the side. He says the inner memory allows us to talk with anyone, and it also, so, but what's that? Why Why would the inner memory allow us to travel and talk? Well, you got to remember, in the spiritual world, locomotion has to do with state of mind. It's that you, if you're not on the same wavelength as people, you can't, you know, say wavelength in the, the colloquial sense of the way you're thinking, the way you're perceiving life. It's hard for you to connect to the point in the spiritual world where you just don't see each other. So if you have this exterior memory activated, you can't connect. But this interior memory is like this guest pass everywhere. You can Something about it is universal enough that it can interact with everybody. All right, so let's get to a little bit more on Swedenborg's description of what the external memory is, just so we're very clear about what we're talking about. We're going to go external memory, then internal, then look at how they interact. So here's more from Andy about the external memory according to Swedenborg. Swedenborg describes our memory as operating on, on, on different levels. Uh, the first level, the lowest level, is uh, closely connected with the organic structures of the brain itself. And here Swedenborg's uh, teachings really closely parallel modern what we know about the brain in, in the modern era. What happens is information comes into us through one of our five senses, and the impulse is sent through to the brain, and that those impulses actually rearrange the brain structure um, so that we, we develop neural pathways where something becomes a habit because we're used to that, that information flowing along a specific pathway. So that happens on a physical level from, from our physical senses, but within that there's a, a memory, uh, and that Swedenborg calls the bodily memory, uh, because it's so closely connected to the body. And it's into that memory that we have things that we, we use. For example, speech, language, is part of that bodily memory. It's something that we learn from infancy, uh, and we can speak a particular language because it's so ingrained in us that it actually goes into the structure of the, of the mind. It also goes into structure of uh, the way we speak. You try and pronounce something in Chinese, it's very difficult because our, our physical memory of how to form sounds has been channeled in another direction. So that's the lowest memory, and it's, as I say, closely connected with the body. But what happens to that information then is it passes up into what Swedenborg calls the external memory. Uh, and the external memory is a record of all this information that, that floods into us. Uh, but it's not simply the information, it's also then the, uh, the, the ideas and the concepts and the way we use that information. That's all stored in this, this external memory. So we actually have another division there, the bodily and external. We're not going to dwell on that. It's just all part of this uh, exterior memory. But it does show that just like Sony Werner earlier was talking about the hippocampus and the amygdala and these different parts of the memory, that there there are these different components 
as Swedenborg describes as well. Um, so you got a little bit more about this external memory, and this is the thing that we're in all the time when we think about remembering things. This is often what we're using. However, the external memory, while it's cool, and I don't want to get any letters from the external memory society, think I'm putting it down. It's, it's got a great function, right? And it, it, We're glad we have it. However, it's got flaws, and we're going to look at a few of those here, and it's flawed to the extent that we ultimately want to let go of it or change its role pretty significantly, and that comes in the process of time. Swedenborg describes it here in Secrets of Heaven 2831. Compared to the contents of the inner memory, which holds rational concepts, the contents of the outer memory, which holds facts, are in a snarl or a virtual black forest. As long as people are living in their bodies, they cannot see how shadowy, black, and dark things are in that forest by comparison. While on Earth, they imagine that the outer memory is the fount of all wisdom and understanding, but eventually they will reach the other world and gain the use of their inner memory's contents. Then they will see that the outer memory contains anything but the light of wisdom and understanding. They will see that its contents are relatively dark, disorganized, and tangled. So our outer memory that we spend a lot of time in is a snarly black forest. What, what, how do you get off saying that, man? Like, what, where's your evidence for that? Well, actually, you know, psychology is discovering that there's a lot wrong with our external memory. They don't call it external, they just call it a memory. But there's a lot of stuff going on in there. For example, we can have things that are called false memories, where we actually kind of remember stuff wrong or make stuff up or put things together. Sony Warner describes it. She's talking here about, there's an example in a part of the interview we didn't get to use, where she's talking about crossing the George Washington Bridge in New York City. And it's a stressful experience for her because it's always crowded and that kind of thing. She references that here. Here's a little description of this phenomena of making memories up. You may have heard of false memories. Let's use this, uh, this example again about the going across the bridge. My experience is that sometimes I'm in a big traffic jam as I get ready to cross that bridge. Other times I'm, everybody's hurrying and going really fast and everybody's hearts are pounding and my amygdala saying it's not safe. But there's also been things in the news that say all these events about the George Washington Bridge. In fact, every morning on the New York News, they tell you whether or not there's a delay. And New Jersey had a big event about did somebody close three lanes and everybody was mad and now it's a big political. Well, my brain might take those experiences that are not really mine experiences and combine it with my episodic memory of going across the bridge maybe once a year and patch them together. And if I retell that story together, that's conflating, that's what we call a false memory. And every time somebody tells that story, they might take patches of other people's either news experiences or other people's personal experiences and put them together. And then we might be laying down a new memory that's actually not accurate. Now, why does that matter? Well, it doesn't really matter in terms of the George Washington Bridge, but it does matter if I'm a witness in a court case. If I got called up to be on the witness stand and I've conflated my experience of some, let's say, a crime that happened at a bank with something I saw on TV, I might put it together. And then I actually am not giving accurate information. So I might be convinced I knew what happened, but unfortunately, we know that sometimes people, in fact, everybody conflates. So actually, we're all really terrible eyewitnesses. 
we're not going to baby you here. You're a terrible eyewitness. <laughs> but it's a flawed system, but it's the best one we have. But it is noteworthy even outside the courtroom. That the thing we generally use as our framework for life, our memory, we think this is what's happened, this is how the world is because of what's happened, it, you know, it's right some of the time, but it can be wrong. It can just be totally wrong. Uh, that's a big deal, and it just makes you think about the way that we process life, the way that we experience life, the quality. Just like, just like if you're for health, the quality of the water you're drinking matters a lot. The quality of the memory you have really, really affects how you see life in general. And not only are there these studied flaws in the external memory, but there are even spiritual drawbacks to the external memory that Swedenborg describes. Here's a couple of examples from various places in his writings. He says, and this is, that external memory can interact with the spiritual world, but eventually it's something we are supposed to shed, so here's some spiritual interactions with that memory. He says our external memory can be totally influenced by groups of spirits, which make false information seem true. And these are all from his own experience. We can experience the memories of a nearby spirit and mistakenly think it is one's own memory. So he would see that with the way that the external memory is set up, you can actually kind of get a memory leak where you're experiencing the spirit around you's memory and you think, oh yeah, that, that happened to me. We On earth, you get that. Some people think like, oh yeah, remember when that happened? Oh wait, no, that was an episode of Friends, the TV show. But there, it can actually be like a direct sort of download or, or like a pipe is burst in someone else's memory crossing over into you. Plus, our memory, our external memory holds all our past mistakes and faults, which evil spirits can use to attack us all the time. Swedenborg talks about evil spirits like rifling through that memory and pulling up, just looking, looking, skimming, skimming, Google search, what's anything bad you've done, and then bringing that to mind, causing you to feel bad about it. And then finally, our external memory holds all our past irritations toward other people, which blocks mutual love. And we're going to expand that last point a little bit, because the blocking of mutual love is no joke at all. So this is from Spiritual Experiences 2780. Impressions of others, whether they be hatred or contempt or any others, whatever, that people had received in the life of the body and that had become rooted in their mind, cannot in the other life be dispersed, except after they come into heaven and bodily and material elements are washed away by the Lord. So grudges can't be uprooted easily. That's difficult. It actually takes this coming into heaven and this sort of divine memory surgery. And that's what we're going to start to look at here. Um, There is this plan and this progression to rid us of the harmful side effects of the external memory. But as soon as we talk about ridding ourselves of the external memory, we've given all these reasons why we wouldn't want it around, we're probably thinking, what about the good memories that we have? What about the people that we know and we love and care about? What do we do there? Well, actually, there is a mechanism by which the, va- the things of true value from the external memory can get pulled up, bumped up a level into the internal memory. So now is a great time. It's cool that that segue worked out just like it did. Now is a great time to look at what's the internal memory? What does it mean and wh- how does it interact with the external memory? We'll begin by saying that the internal memory is way cooler than the external memory. Swedenborg describes it like this in Secrets of Heaven, The inner memory is far superior to the outer memory. It compares to the outer memory by a million to one, or as light compares to darkness. Mental images by the tens of thousands from our inner memory enter into our outer memory as a single thought, where they present a vague general picture. The faculties that spirits have, then, 
both their sensations and their thoughts and perceptions are all fuller and more perfect, and those of an angel are still more perfect. Some examples can show how the inner memory is superior to the outer. When you call to mind another person, friend or enemy, whose character you know from years and years of personal dealings, what you then think about that person presents itself as a single vague picture. The reason for the vagueness is that the thought rises from your outer memory. When you call that person to mind after you have become a spirit, however, what you then think presents itself with all the impressions you have ever formed of him or her, and the reason for the richness of thought is that it rises out of your inner memory. The same is true in all other areas. Any subject you know about in depth presents itself to your outer memory as a single dim hole, but to your inner memory in all the detail you have ever acquired on it. It's an upgrade in narrative and an upgrade in accuracy. Don't we know that we interact with people and certain things about them stick out to us? There may be one thing that they said that really colors how we see them forever, uh, but that's not necessarily the truth of who they are, or even the truth of our little interaction with them. So this inner memory is able to do that. Swedenborg is saying that everything we have is recorded in, in much greater detail, with much greater accuracy, it, well, with perfect accuracy and perfect detail in this inner memory, and that that's what we're working towards opening up uh, as we transition into the spiritual world. But that's a pretty bold claim. You're saying that everything is recorded there, and everything is clearer, and this can be accessed and used. You know, how are you going to back that up? Well, corroboration is about the best we can do. This is actually something that's been reported a lot in near-death experiences. You know, people will talk about having something that's called a life review. I don't know if you've heard of that, but if you go to the website neardeath.com, you'll find an article they have about, this is a conglomeration of, these are all the things people generally describe in this life review, and all we're just going to, we pulled up a few of them, A, B, and J, so there's obviously some in between, but one or, I mean, A, <laughs> instantly becoming everyone you came in contact with in your entire life, feeling their emotions, thinking their thoughts, living their experiences, learning their motives behind their actions. So you go through your life, but you go through it from the camera, multiple camera angles. You see everybody else too. So that's not just going through the whole life, but that's having extra information. Then B, reliving every detail of every second of your life, every emotion and every thought simultaneously. We do not remember every emotion and every thought. I mean, you remember some things, but how were you feeling 16 days ago? We have no idea, even though there's some things we may remember from long ago, but there's so much of it that's lost. And here they're saying, you go through this experience, you know, when people have these, ex- these near-death experiences, where everything comes back to you, and not just every single thing comes back, but somehow the way that it, the package is delivered lets you do it all at once. It doesn't take you 80 years to relive an 80-year life. You can do it all at once. So there's an enhanced delivery system as well. And then finally, Jay, your motives for everything will be as visible as your actions. So further insight, not just the sensory impressions, but what is behind the things that happened and why, in clarity to yourself as to why you did them. So that's pretty strong evidence there of people encountering this inner memory and it being used to serve a function because these life reviews are often a meaningful part of the experience and serve to change the person in some way going forward in life. And Swedenborg actually 
describe, describes these life reviews as the book of life. You know, that's a term from the Bible. He says that this book of life is that record from which this internal memory, from which everything is pulled. This is Secrets of Heaven 2256. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, it needs to be realized that anything good we have thought about or done from the time we were babies right up to the last hour of our life stays with us. So does everything bad. In fact, not even the smallest particle of it entirely disappears. So there is no loss of information. All of it remains written on our book of life. In other words, it remains written on both kinds of memory and on our nature. That is, on our mental and emotional character. So three, because I may not remember this point when we put this quote down, so I want to talk about this now. Three ways, you know, we both, uh, both our memories, internal and external, but also in who we are, everything we've ever been through, is a part of who we are. This is material from which we have formed a life and a soul, so to speak, for ourselves, and it remains the same after death. Our virtues never mingle with our faults, nor our faults with our virtues, in such a way that they cannot be untangled, however. If they did mingle in this way, we would be destroyed forever. The Lord provides against it. When we come into the next life, if we have lived a life of loving, charitable goodness, the Lord filters out the evil and uses the good in us to lift us up to heaven. So you have this even though everything's in there, good and bad, they're separate in a way that the evil can be completely pulled out, just like some kind of contaminant in a substance that can be strained out, and the good can be used to lift us up to heaven through that state of mind, if we're putting in some effort to try to live with love, meaning we want this to happen in the first place. What is filtered out is merely detached, though it is never removed completely, which that could be comforting, or that could be uh, not comforting. So, um, some people would say, wait, I don't want to forget anything. You don't forget anything. Some people say, ah, oh, I don't want to drag this around forever, but you don't drag it around forever. There is this compartmentalization or there's this move where things are no longer in your living room like they are now. The things are moved up, packaged up, put in the attic, whereas the good things are what take center stage. And this is part of our evolution of memory. This internal memory that we're talking about is not separate from the external memory. It actually uses everything that we gain here as a foundation. And Andy talked a little more about how that works. But our memory is more than just what comes into us. It's also then our responses and our reactions that come from that. So Swedenborg talks about us having an internal memory. And the internal memory consists of our response to the information that's in our external memory that we have gained from our corporeal memory or bodily memory. Uh, our internal memory is our, our affection, our interest, our delight, our enthusiasm, uh, all those kinds of things that, that make knowledge interesting and important to us. And that's why we remember it. Uh, we, we remember things that we have an affection for. So, so it's really that, that, that love, that response in us that anchors the memory. Now why this becomes so important is that when we die, our physical bodies stay behind and our mind is our spirit. So the, 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 the lowest memory, the, the part of us that is uh, closest to the physical body, that memory, it, it doesn't disappear. We, never, we don't lose a single thing out of our memories, not one. Uh, which, you know, try and explain that to a, a college student, and they say, well, I can't remember what I'm supposed to know on my test. It's there, we just can't retrieve it. And we don't retrieve it because it's not 
particularly important to us. It doesn't have that affection that has lifted it up to a higher level of the memory. Uh, so that lowest level, we're not using human language in the spiritual world. We use spiritual language, the language of ideas. So we don't really need to remember our words and how to get from here to the store and back and that sort of stuff. Um, so that we essentially forget it. It's there, but it's buried. Then we have the next journal, the external memory, the next level of memory. And that memory is also becomes buried because it's, it's so close to uh, the physical. It's, it's the taking of stuff in and the ideas that are formed from that. Um, but the internal memory takes those ideas and moves them forward by attaching them to our affections, our interests, and so on and so forth. So that internal memory becomes much more important. The external memory uh, is something that we basically forget. It's a foundation, but like the foundation of your house, you don't see it, but if you took it out, your house would fall down. Exactly. You're still using the foundation. So this is not to say that we have this internal memory that does everything the external memory does and better, we just need to get rid of this external memory. The processes we go through in this world, using this memory that we're all in, and learning facts, studying, having experiences, that's all a useful part of the process. And if we're working towards goodness or love or some kind of positive thing in life, we're actually through this process of learning about earthly things, building this foundation for heavenly things that's coming up, Secrets of Heaven 99723. From infancy to the end of our life in the world, we improve in understanding and wisdom. And if all is to be well with us, we must also improve in faith and love. It is mainly facts that serve this cause. Facts are absorbed as we listen, observe, and read, and are stored away in our outer earthly memory. They serve our inner eye or intellect as a field of visual objects from which to select and elect those that help us develop wisdom. Our inner eye or intellect, you see, uses its proper light, which comes from heaven, to gaze down on that field, that part of the memory, and select and elect from the various items there the kinds of facts that suit its passions. This is the at attachment to the affections that Andy was talking about. These facts it summons from the outer memory and stores in its own memory, which is the inner memory. This is what brings the inner self its life, its understanding, and its wisdom. So the inner self, inner memory, inner self needs this external memory to build itself. It's like a, it's almost like a womb for the inner memory, and it's why things that we know and love in our exterior memory pass right up into the internal memory and make a part of our spirit there and continue on. But it still might seem like an obscure sort of process to you. What do you mean the internal memory selects and elects? Here's one example of how that might look in a diagramally. Diagramally. So here we have our earthly life. We're down in the foundation. We have things like our surface friendships, our inner abilities and strengths, the ways we want to serve, our outer circumstances, deep friendships, inner responses and learning, stuff we have to do, earthly lessons and challenges. When we die and we move into the afterlife, then <clears throat> there's a change because we're up there, that stuff is down there, but certain elements of that actually follow us into the afterlife and become part of our and it has to do with what we love and what we are attached to and the state of our heart in the spiritual world. So there, of course, we're having new kinds of experiences, so we're learning, you know, you're, you're 
you're meeting people, you're going places, that all becomes part of your spiritual memory. But also, the the essence of the things we went through on earth, you know, rather than the surface aspects of friendships, deep aspects of friendships come, rather than the stuff we have to do, there's our abilities and strengths, the stuff that we worked on and learned. So there's sort of like this outer earthly level of things, even the mundane stuff like going to the store, um, cleaning the kitchen, this stuff was sort of like a husk or a shell that fostered these these inner spiritual things within it. So that's the kind of things that bring that the internal memory can pull out of that stuff and bring up, and you couldn't ever have gained those things without that experience that we're having in this world. So it's it's part of a process, and it's a process we need to work with uh, to have it happen. Swedenborg did describe some people in the afterlife who are very resistant and didn't want to make this evolution, didn't want to, it's not that you're not losing anything. Again, he says, everything you've ever learned, even the stuff that you ca- you haven't remembered in a long time, is there. It's just about what you're going to focus on day to day in this kind of evolution into a new way of approaching life. But you got to be willing to do it. Actually, we have a great example of this. Don't ask me how this works chronologically, um, but we have footage of Dr. Jonathan Rose as he made this transition. He's fine. He's alive still. But somehow we got footage of him going from the spiritual world to heaven and the process it took to get him there. And for some reason, I'm in this video too. So here's an illustration of the concept. folks. I hope you're enjoying your stay here in the world of spirits. It's going great. I really love this game room and I'm glad that you guys have memory. That was actually one of my favorite games when I was a little kid. Oh, well, we aim to please, but I'm here to offer that for anyone who feels ready, I can guide you on to the next stage of your journey toward heaven. Oh, can we play this game first? Of course. My turn. Let's see. I love all the knowledge that I learned on Earth. I, I studied all these texts. I gathered all this knowledge. I read these academics. You know, most of that knowledge won't be useful or relevant in heaven. And a lot of it is incorrect anyway. But all this knowledge has been so fun for me. Most of it is clutter that will make it hard to take in new knowledge. But turn over that card and that one. That's something you can keep active forever. You can let the rest go. It will be there in storage if you need it. But there's much cooler stuff to learn now. Guitar? What guitar? I don't see a guitar. Let me comment on this video first. You notice that he had to leave. He was like, let's pack up and leave some of these specifics, all the, the things that he'd studied, but the ability to learn mattered, and it stayed with him. And without studying those specifics, he never could have had that ability in the first place. We're trying to over and over stress the importance of moving on to the next level, moving on to the next level and why that matters. For example, if you're ever learning the guitar... You and somebody's trying to teach you, your your teacher is saying, all right, you got to make a C chord. This is what you do. Okay. Put that, put the finger there. Is it up a fret? Okay, oops. 
this one's down. Ah, how do you, this is not funny to you if you've never learned how to play the guitar, but if you have, you know, this is exactly how it is. You get, and you can barely press your fingers on, and then you're like, okay, is that a good chord? And that's how it is in the beginning. Someone asks you to switch to a G, and you gotta use the pinky, it's like impossible. But, after you've practiced and practiced, and you have that down, you never think about where your fingers are. You just have a feel for each chord and you move on from that. So instead of thinking about what the, even what the chords are, you're thinking about how the song is and what you're communicating, you know? Swedenborg Foundation, please donate now. You know, what you're trying to do with the song, you know, really inspire people to donate to the Swedenborg Foundation. That's the way it works. That's the way that our memory works too. Why? Why are we taking you through this process? Why would God take us through this process? What's the point, you know? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to take a look at that uh, in the next section here. We're talking about memory and some of you may be saying i hate memory and that's not even a joke because plenty of people are tormented by memory that th the the memory of things that have happened of things that we wished happened can really gnaw at us and make life miserable and the good news is there are antidotes to it. and there's two kinds of antidotes to it there are antidotes in this world in this life and then antidotes that swedenborg describes in the spiritual world for how to escape haunting negative memories, embarrassing memories, um, grief that we have over things. So first let's take a look though at how we're working, we being the human race, working to help people that are haunted by memory in this life. And for that, we're gonna turn back to Sony for a little psychological perspective. Now, this becomes very serious when we have, a, let's say, um, war experience, like if you've probably heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress, or if people were abused as children. Their memory of their personal life may or may not have gotten conflated or patched together with somebody else's experiences. And the, and the more you retell it over and over, either in your head, in your maybe your dreams, or you tell your neighbor, or you tell your therapist over and over, and if a lot of emotions attach to it, the new memories that they lay down may or may not be completely accurate, but they're very important to oneself. So it can get worse and worse and worse. But the good news is it can also, we can recover. So for instance, we know enough about uh, the different kinds of the brain to realize that up here in the frontal lobe, and up here in the parietal lobe are more emotionally neutral. So let's say if somebody's having a PTSD experience, they hear a loud noise and it reminds them of war, or they see a scary building that reminds them of when they were abused or they were locked up somewhere as a, in a hostage situation and they have all these horrible flashbacks. Well, cognitive behavior therapists, they will work with people to try to do a lot of stuff in their frontal lobe or their parietal lobe, which means more emotionally neutral experiences, thinking, um, things they're doing with their hands to try to literally calm down the amygdala, which is wanting to send out alarms. So we focus on what are we thinking about, what are we doing, and then trying to do that to calm down some of the emotions so that people can recover. Because when you do that, you are laying down new neural connections. 
Uh, so, for instance, some people find that a way, if they have a lot of stressful memories, they need to do things that are calming. They might take walks, they might exercise, they might knit, they might do painting, they might ride their bike, just to shift the focus to some other part of the brain. Because if we don't, we'll stay focused and go around and around and around on, oh, I'm afraid, oh, I'm really afraid, I'm really, really afraid, oh no, it's going to happen. And that past experience may take over our current experience. So we've had some luck with the cognitive behavior therapy to kind of sort out how do we, how do we not be hijacked by those old past experiences. This is great, the progression of science and of the ability to help people, and we want to contribute to that and move that forward as much as we can, and while simultaneously understanding there are other useful things on the spiritual side of things. And this is the way that those sorts of problems are dealt with in the next life, Swedenborg describes in Secrets of Heaven 2493. He says, <clears throat> Talking with angels about the memory of the past and resulting worries about the future, I learned that the deeper and more perfect angels are, the less they care about the past or think about the future. That is why they are happy. From moment to moment, they said, the Lord shows them what to think and supplies them with blessings and happiness, so that they are free of worries and cares. This is what is meant in an inner sense by receiving manna from the sky daily, by the daily ration of bread mentioned in the Lord's Prayer, and by being forbidden to worry about what we will eat or drink or how we will be clothed. Even though they do not care about the past or worry about the future, though, they still have a complete and perfect memory of the past and ability to see into the future, because for them the entire present moment holds both the past and the future. So they have a more perfect memory than can ever be imagined or expressed. So it's not that they can't access those facts, but it's about the narrative around them and the accuracy of them, that they are that there's this divine interfacing that keeps them from dwelling and ruminating and gives them access when it's useful and when it's going to help, but they're not fixated on it, and the present moment takes priority rather than the past or the future take priority, and the present moment is spent thinking about them. A better, another way to look at this dynamic is to see it on the flip side, where that if, if, if we're not using that divine interfacing with our memory, it leads to a lot of problems, as we all know, but it spiritually happens as well. Spiritual Experiences 2189. If spirits and angels were to be given the opportunity to remember things of the past and to anticipate things to come, sort of like we do now, then the whole aura would be filled with false guesses, resulting in confusion and the destruction of their happiness. Conjecture about things to come and the memory of things past are what take away all the pleasantness of life and happiness. They cause worry, cares, anxiety. Therefore, it is impossible that those in a state of happiness should have that kind of memory and that kind of forethought. Even though they do not know any better than they, they possess most excellent memory and most excellent prudence or forethought, since they have it from the Lord, and it is thus divine. Nonetheless, it is such as I have told. It's a little confusing, because he seems like he's saying, you know, you can't be happy while remembering the past and thinking about the future. Um, so angels don't do it. However, they have perfect recollection and perfect anticipation. It has to do with, I think, that, that line about filled with false guesses. Isn't that what so much of our anticipation of the future is? And think about all the future events you've ever imagined, which is actually going into your past of when you've thought about the future in your past. But is it ever like you think it is? And in the past, often what we're remembering isn't really what happened. So we're in this world where we're not even really accessing the past and the future. 
for one, and two, we're placing too much emphasis on them, devaluing the present moment. So there, it's not like you're cut off from the from history, from your personal history or anticipation of what's to come. That in this angelic state of mind, you have better access to the truth of those. It has to do with this sort of false narrative world that we build around each that we currently access in our memories. That that isn't the way to go about it. So how would that? How does that work? What does it mean? That, that what, How does the divine interface with memory? So here's a potential scenario on that with a diagram. Um, this is how hell wants us to remember things, right? Oh, we hate this person. How could this happen? We don't want to forgive. We've made mistakes. We're embarrassed. We remember the hurt, right? So that's, that's how we look back and see the events in our life. It could be those very same events through a divine lens look like this. It's about the lessons learned, it's about the growth, it's about the potential, and it's about what we've gotten out of the whole thing. Same events, but this, and this is actually the more true depiction of them, because Swedenborg says that the Lord doesn't allow anything bad to happen unless good can come out of it. So, that's actually the truth about those events, rather than the despair that this sort of external memory hell influence wants to give us. But you may also think, though, that people who have been through trauma, that has been sort of a life-defining trauma, may want, uh, you know, not to forget that, right? So if we go back to our foundation, you might think, if I, I had this horrible experience, but it's made me who I am today, if I lost, I lose for myself, well, you think about, look at the left-hand column and the things there that come along from trauma. You have the pain, the fear, the anger, the despair. And in the right hand, the things you've gained after your recovery and through it, compassion, clarity, strength, abilities from it. You know, how many times you see people who something happened to them, they go on to found some institute that helps make sure that doesn't happen to anyone else. Well, in the afterlife, Swedenborg says that do pull up everything in the living room that has to do with what you gained. Even the negative stuff is still there. Nothing goes goes away. It's down in the foundation. It's not cluttering up your day to day, right? So that's how it goes. Everything, we, we carry everything with us. It's not a loss of essence. It's just a loss of functionality and in, in which things have prominence and which things are clamoring for our attention. So, that seems like a pretty good deal, you know, to pull everything good out. Think of how, man, think of how good life would be if we weren't bothered by think negative memories. That would be a huge bonus in life. And if we weren't bothered by worries about the future, it seems like that is almost the whole game right there. How, that would be so cool. How do we do it? How do we work towards that, towards this memory that's suited for heaven? Well, First of all, realize that we are building the foundation for this kind of memory right now, that our choices have uh, are, are the cinder blocks of this foundation. And so we're going to hear from Andy about it. He mentions spheres going out from people in this. We've called them auras before, so we more describes it in the next life. This aura or sphere of yourself goes out that, that sends your character out to people. So he references that in the beginning. But here's him talking about how choices matter informing our inner memory. So if we have built memories in this world that are loving, kind, gentle, uh, shunning evils, and so on, and we become angelic, the sphere that we emit 
is going to be angelic, and that will attract us and connect us with other people who have similar spheres. And of course, the same works in the opposite direction. So we can take this whole subject of, of memory and we can uh, look at it from a lot of different angles, and each part of it shows us how the life that we live in this world becomes the foundation of the life we live in that world. While we're here, we have a fair degree of control over what we store up in our memories and, and a, a level of choice. We, can't, we don't have choice over everything that comes in, but we certainly have choice over how we deal with it, the affections that, that develop as a result of that. And that becomes the foundation for our future life. So how do we make that foundation full of good stuff? Well, we can look back at the physical and what we've learned about the external memory and just, just the, the day-to-day remembering of things and what gets people to remember things. Well, it's generally the things that we keep active. And Sony had some commentary on that. Memory is, um, I think, is a gift that we are given so that we can function in the next future. It could be short term, within seconds, like driving a car or walking down a pathway, or it could be long term into the future. So if we learn some experiences in our childhood and adolescence, it might help us function better and later in life. So <clears throat> we need those things. But if we don't use certain parts of our brain, they kind of fall away. It's almost like these neural connections between, let's say, something we saw and something we felt or smelled. If we don't keep those active, the neurons just sort of disconnect and they reconnect somewhere else. I'll give you a very common example. In uh, college, I had to study German. I cannot speak German now. This is 50, 40 years later. I can't speak German because I haven't kept it active. But there's other things that I have kept active, like I'm always trying to learn new things about the brain. So I keep studying about all the different parts of the brain. I never learned any of that when I was a teenager. I've learned most of it in the last 10 years. And because I keep studying it and keep learning about it and finding it fascinating, I'm attaching my emotion to it. And it helps me when people ask me about something because then I can answer it. So we often select what are we going to keep. It's it. What's interesting is the long-term memory seems to have almost unlimited amount of room in their filing cabinets for what we could store. But the brain, after a while, it uh, will let go of those things that we are not using on a fairly regular basis. So we want to take that same principle and apply it spiritually. And by spiritually, in Swedenborgian terms, that means keeping loving things active. Because the, the loving, the charitable things, these are the foundation for spiritual stuff. So if we take these truths we learn about altruism and that kind of thing, Swedenborg says that even spiritual concepts, if you learn them but don't use them, they don't become a part of you. But if we learn something about love, about how things work on a deeper level, and we take it and we use it to make life better for other people, to make ourselves more of a vessel for bringing love and bringing help to people, then we're building the foundation of a spiritual heavenly memory within us. And Swedenborg talks about it in Secrets of Heaven 2494. While people who love the Lord and have charity for their neighbor are living in the world, they have angelic understanding and wisdom present inside, but it is hidden in the inmost depths of their inner memory. This understanding and wisdom remains completely invisible to them until they shed their bodies. Then the memory of earthly particulars goes to sleep, while they awaken into the use of their inner memory and eventually into the use of a truly angelic memory. 
So what is that? Again, what, what are we talking about here? Here's a diagram. We're going to go back to our house in the woods one last time. We're down memory we have our jobs relationships experiences knowledge of goodwill and usefulness in any situation is building our spiritual and heavenly memory so even in in the go through in our regular life the love we have for them leads to these things the lasting element friendships this universal truth the skills we pick up like in the skit jonathan rose's ability to learn stayed with him this lasting contribution and usefulness so even in the menial mundane things we can be developing these skills and developing the part of our nature that stays forever so it's how we approach each task it's how we approach everything in our lives that affects our spirit and what it does you know that's what makes us who we are and that's what <clears throat> forms us bit by bit so you can even if you're doing something that seems like it's annoying like you know i forgot i went to the store i forgot this now i got to go back and get this i've got to drive to this place i don't really want to i've got to clean this thing whatever it is you can realize in the doing of it i'm doing this in a way that is going to be eternal, that is going to affect who I am, how, how I approach even the mundane things. It's not the thing that's being done, it's how I'm doing it that matters and stays. So if we want to build this inner memory, we can focus on what is eternal in every moment. But how do you do that? Well, we have a whole show about how you do that. It's called How to Live in Eternity Now. So you've just watched an hour of this, click on that, watch another hour, come on, man, do it. Actually, don't do that right now, save it, because we're going to get to questions and that kind of thing. But first, if you enjoyed this show, like and subscribe. That helps YouTube remember that this show is cool and it pushes it out to other people. And if you want to make this kind of programming possible, we're a nonprofit. We use donations to do this, so consider making a donation. Here's some of our philosophy, then we'll get to your questions. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. All right. Let's get to the questions. Let's see what you got. What's the first one? I got this guitar here. I might as well use it. Anita, is memory restored after illness such as dementia? So... Okay, the guitar is annoying. I'm putting it away. The, so, the illnesses that we go through, uh, even brain-related ones, are a physical thing, right? Like, they, they're connected to the structures. People can study those, and that affects how the mind works. And Swedenborg, even though he talks about all kinds of... There's all this... Ooh, sorry. My guitar is really, really causing this thing here. There's all kinds of spiritual stuff he talks about. He says that consciousness is going nowhere without the brain with it. Meaning, if the he says in one quote, if there are structures in the brain, injure them and you go out of your mind. So there is a physical component. However, that physical component, no matter how ma messed up it is and how much that affects our ability to retrieve things from the exterior memory, 
the internal memory is not touched because that's a spiritual thing. So everything, doesn't matter how cognizant you are, what kind of state your brain is in, everything you've ever been through is recorded and is retrievable. So there is this full restoration, just like it doesn't matter how injured or diseased your body gets, your spirit is free of those. Same thing with the mental thing. So even if you go through, have somebody that goes through something as tough as dementia, yes, you can know that that person is going to be able to, and they've got everything that's ever happened in their spiritual memory, and when the t- times are right, they'll be able to access it as clearly as anybody ever has. So you, you won't, uh, they won't have lost anything. And if you have lost a person to that, meaning you, even if they're still alive in this world, you just can't communicate with them anymore. Um, there is, they're still in there, and there's going to be a time in which you're both like back with it, heart to heart, eye to eye. So that's that's what Swedenborg is saying, anyway. All right, great question. Let's look at the next one. L.A. Wolfman, if your spouse is in the spiritual world, will they still remember everything about your marriage and your love for each other? Yes, they will. Swedenborg talks about married couples re-meeting the afterlife, re-meeting meeting again in the afterlife and it being a joyous occasion. He talks about the spirit of one dwelling with the other, even while they're separated by the worlds. But but also, as we saw in this episode, people had, remember that that all the Polaroids crashing down onto the, the whatever table the screen was looking at that says, in your spiritual memory, not just a general depiction of the person comes up when you think of them, but everything you guys have been through. So not only are they going to remember the marriage, but they're going to know the totality of it. And then everything, the whole picture, and since it's in the heavenly thing, we're going to be looking at even the struggles in it for good. So there's just a much better connection there. It's not like you're going to spend your life with someone and find out that you guys are st- meant to spend long eternity together, but yet you just forget everything you built. No, your your marriage in this world would be a foundation for that, just like the external memory is a foundation for the internal. It's not like it's not like you'll sit there and always remember, oh yeah, do you remember our honeymoon that was so... No, because what you'll be going through then will be even better. So that's what the focus will be on, but the other stuff is there in a box in the attic of the memory somewhere to retrieve at any time. And and when you first meet, I'm sure, uh, you know, after, in the afterlife, that's that's a time when that stuff will be retrieved and you would be able to connect through that. Or that's what I see Swedenborg as saying. All right, let's take a look at the third one. LOL fun vids. Said, does Swedenborg say anything about learning in heaven? Like, do we know everything in a matter of seconds, or do we learn it slowly over time? Well, there's almost both. Um, Swedenborg talks about people coming into great amounts of knowledge, and this is something that's reported in near-death experiences, where people suddenly, I knew all kinds of things. And Swedenborg talks about coming into a community, and suddenly coming into all the knowledge of that community. However, he talks about the ability to be perfected in love and in wisdom to eternity. So even if you do learn vast amounts quickly, you never get even close to learning everything. So there is this continual progression. Learning is a permanent joy and a permanent part of humanity, of the human experience. So it doesn't matter how much you know, there's always going to be more to learn, and that actually you can get a lot of joy in life by learning things and applying them in the other world. So certainly there's there's this great leap when we get into the spiritual world, but it's not like you're ever sitting there, oh, I know everything. You know, that You're not even going to get close. That actually, he says, it's wisdom to acknowledge that what we know is next to nothing compared to what we don't know, and that the highest angels who have the most wisdom realize more clearly than anyone just how much there is that they don't know. You know, and it's, it's almost like 
what we're doing here in this world. You know, the more every time we discover something, we realize, oh, there's so much more that we don't even know about that thing. But but on and on because that fringe of discovery is human beings, or human human minds racing towards God because we're we're learning more and more of this this universe that God has put out to us. But Swedenborg says you're never going to cross that threshold and know everything because God is infinite and there's an infinite amount to learn and it's going to be an awesome journey. Thanks for the question. Let's do a couple more here. Bailey, how are dreams remembered? Sometimes we remember a lot of details, sometimes nothing, but yet isn't it all in our memory? What is the purpose of that? Yep, and the retrieval of dreams. And dreams are so funny because you can feel them slipping away. I mean, you wake up and it's very vivid. Even though you can experience the the first memory of it vividly, very quickly I find myself losing it and losing it, and then it's gone. it's all there, as as Andy said earlier in the episode, it's there, we just can't retrieve it. Then I think that's one of the things about the external memory, is that it can't always pull things up in perfect detail. The internal memory could, and as far as the purpose of that, it would be like on an individual basis. It's just like, why do you remember particular things? Everything in our mind right now are tools for the divine to work with, to lead us in providence to this heaven and this happiness. So if for some reason we're not able to remember a dream, it's because... We need to be focused on other things, you know. It could be that in a perfect world, we remember more of our dreams, but with how it is now, this is how providence can work. So in short, I'm not going to say I know why the specifics would happen of why we don't remember a particular dream or why we do, but I will say I know in general it's for some good reason. Yeah, all right. I sort of answered that one. Let's look at the next one. Uh, Does Emmanuel Swedenborg note any risk in losing interest in the outer memory. Um, so, you mean like when we get to the after... I'm gonna, so, I'm going to take this question as meaning when we get to the afterlife, do we lose interest in the outer memory? And I would say, yes, we do, because it's just one little bit of our larger conscious experience. Now, that is not to say that we don't care about the people that we knew in this life, because there's there are deeper things to that. But we certainly don't get fixated on those outer things. And also, there's such better things to know in the spiritual world, that what we learn there is so much more interesting, so much more... Um, and, and, and the essence of the things we learn here. Here we're just sort of learning about the echoes of things, whereas there we're learning about the truth of things. And I think... What you stay interested in has to do with what your deeper loves are. There's stuff that you're going to let go of. But if there's something that's sort of your field, you could possibly retain everything about it. You retain the earthly things as these containers for the spiritual things that are the true, um, the true, as I say, essence, bastion of, of what, what you love. So that stuff is going to be, that stuff is not going anywhere. Uh, and you're going, never going to lose interest in that because the passion to do something useful with the things you care about is the driving force of life for people in heaven. So that's going to stay. I don't know. I don't know if I answered that or not, but there's a couple on those. What is that? Are we done? Do we have one more? What do we want? Let's do this one. Do disagreements still exist in heaven? So we're talking about heaven, not just uh, the world of spirits. I mean, the spiritual world in general, we're talking about heaven. Yeah, I would say so. I would say they would be more amiable. As for Disagreements meaning I think one thing and you think the other. There's all kinds of diversity of opinion in heaven. It's not, it doesn't get, there's a certain limit to it. I think everybody acknowledges 
the divine being. Everybody acknowledges that good is to be done. But as far as the specifics, there's there's a lot of variety, especially between the higher, lower heavens, different communities there. But there's this, there's this, um, Tudenburg describes this as being a state of uh, one of the churches that, that followed previously in humanity, that they would say, well, you dis- we disagree, but I can see you're a good person. And so, so there's, th- disagreement does not bring conflict. Now, if you're talking about disagreement like two people disagreeing, Swedenborg does describe debates where, where people are arguing f- for a position. It wouldn't be like the debates we see here where it's all character assassination, but there are those kinds of arguments over position. Um, and I think, but as far as like, if you mean disagreement, like a shouting match or animosity, I don't know, maybe on the lower levels, people do slip into these negative things once in a while. Um, but I think it would be rare. I, I do think heaven does have a little more variety than we think of of um, a variety of states of life, meaning there are, it's not all rosy, but but I'm not going to say that like people regularly are getting mad at each other over ideas, because um, ideas are secondary to love in heaven. That's one of the characteristics. So I would say probably it's not as serious as here, and there's probably less arguments the higher up you go. Everybody's always entitled to have diversity of opinions. Nobody's trying to homogenize that. So there's a couple things. All right, everybody, thank you so much for hanging out. Really appreciate it. I hope you can hang out with us again next week because we're going to be talking about the day-to-day cycles of spiritual growth that lead us to salvation. So in case you ever wanted to check that out, we're going to be talking about it next week. I'll see you then.